Our scripture passage today is, um, I believe, very familiar to all of us. It'll be from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 31, through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. And our sermon title today is, The More Excellent Way. This is the Lord's word. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. May the Lord bless us in the reading of his holy word. 1 Corinthians 13, especially verse 4 through 13, that starts with love is patient and love is kind, love does not envy or boast. These are very familiar words to us here in the United States. These are words that you'll hear at a wedding. These are words that you might even hear at a, at a, at a, at a graduation. And when we hear these words in those contexts, it takes on a total different tone. We hear it in the tone of a husband and wife loving one another. We hear it in terms of perhaps the graduate who, whose heart needs to go outward to love the world and to do good in this world. And yes, that passage has enough depth and weight to carry all of that. But there's something even more important than taking that passage out of its context to apply it to the broader world that we have to consider. 
why is it that Paul placed this amazing passage in the midst of the book of Corinthians? I would expect this to perhaps be in the Proverbs, perhaps in the, in the end, talking about what love is. Perhaps in something more like Ephesians, when we're talking about just God's love for the church and the need for brothers and sisters to love one another. Somewhere a little bit more positive. But God's placed it here in this passage for a reason. For God's people to understand the importance of church and the importance of God's people to love one another. In verse 31, Paul ends his discussion on gifts. And he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And he's talking about the gifts such as prophecy, such as knowledge. He's talking about the gifts that sort of educate and edify the people through, through the preaching of God's word or the teaching of God's word or, or hearing God's word. And then later on in the next chapter, in, in chapter 14, in 1 Corinthians 14, he continues to talk about the gifts as well. Paul stops and pauses to say this. Even though I desire for all of you to have these higher gifts, I still want to show you a still more excellent way. A reminder to us as God's people, not simply to look for sort of where our gifts fit in, a reminder to us that love trumps everything, any gift that the Lord may give you. He says this, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Love trumps speaking in tongues. Love trumps the ability to, to speak in the language of perhaps angels. Something that perhaps some of us or some people desire to have this extra spiritual gift. Love trumps that. And we know that in this particular context, to be able to speak in tongues and have someone to interpret tongues, that these were actually the very words of God to help a young, fledgling church to grow in wisdom and knowledge to give them a pathway of, of decisions that have to be made. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Love wins over prophecy. Even if you are able to be prophetic about the future. Even if you were like the Old Testament prophets that hear the word of God to be able to rebuke people directly, to hear the word of God, to reveal the promises of God and his salvation to the people directly without love. It's nothing. Even if you had knowledge of all of Scripture, the knowledge 
of how theology works together and knowledge so that you can preach and teach others without love. It's nothing. Perhaps you're someone who who has that mountain-moving faith that you trust God in all things, that no matter what comes your way, you trust in God's sovereignty, that you know that God will do things for his glory and for your good, but you do not have love for God's people. Faith accounts for nothing. In verse 3, if I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. So even if you were that person who, who gave everything to the poor, stripped yourself of any types of riches, dignity, but you have not love. You gain nothing. And lastly, even if you were to give up your body to the flames in martyrdom, for the faith you have in God, Without love, you gain nothing. This is a sober reminder to a church in turmoil, but also a sober reminder to a church trying to figure out how to be a church. What gifts are going to emerge? What gifts will God provide to help this church move forward so that the kingdom can be known to to the world? And Paul reminds us, first thing is first, O church of Corinth. First things is first, O Christ's covenant, Presbyterian church. No matter what work you do in this church, no matter what role you have in this church, if it's not for the love of the people here in this church, it counts as nothing. And I think this is something that all of us need to hear. we do have those times in our lives when things are just completely hectic and we, and we come to church and we sort of just do our part. We just do our part. But our hearts are distant from our brothers and sisters in the church. We play the role that God has given us and we do it faithfully. but we've lost love and affection 
could a people be called brothers and sisters? We are like that son and daughter in our family who comes to all the reunions, all the parties, brings all the right gifts, does all the right things, yet your mom and dad know that's all duty and no love. And Paul warns us that for a church to be fruitful, these gifts have to be accompanied by love. Gifts without love. Well, what happens? It says it counts for nothing. What usually happens in the church? That gift that God has given you, when it's not applied in a loving manner, becomes a gift that dies in that church. Perhaps you know someone has got a gift of teaching. Loves doing Bible studies. But there's no love. What happens? No one wants to go to Bible study. And then the word Bible study itself becomes, oh, I don't want to go anymore. But you show me someone who has a gift. Who loves the people their brothers and sisters. I'll show you a ministry that flourishes. Not simply because of the gift, but because of the love. Look at these six gifts that are here. Surely I'll say to you, if we took away all these six gifts from the church, there would be no church. There would be no church. Paul is making an extreme point here. That to love one another trumps all. This is the context of this, this passage. Don't be fooled. This passage here that's following it in verse 4 and, and, and on, it's not about marriage, although we can apply it to marriage. It's not about sort of how to go out into this world, we can, but we can apply it to that as well. It's, it's strong and, and witty enough. But the main purpose of this In fact, all of Corinthians is can you love one another? And can whatever gifts that God has given you, can you apply it in such a way that it's not inward, but is outward? For the college students, an example that, I, that I've given many times when I was a 
staff worker back at uh, in Philadelphia. We would have this conference, and it was about 200 students. And I was a praise leader at that time. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I had to do that. Play the guitar. I sang. Yes, I, that was me. Um, nothing is recorded. Thank God. Um, I remember being uh, leading that, and um, tons of students coming up to me. Can I help? Can I help? Can I sing? Can I play drums for you? I see you don't have a drummer. Can I do this for you? And at first I said yes. And then I said no afterwards pretty quickly. Because as I was leading worship, I would see them and go, dude, this isn't a concert. We're here to to lead people to worship. And I saw some of the students just got through their head. And I had to rebuke a couple of them. I said, listen, musically you're talented. But you're not using your gifts to love people. You're using your gifts for yourself. When we try to join a church, and you join a church just because you want to find something that you can do for yourself without loving the people around you, that's the wrong attitude in joining a church and being part of a church. The gifts that God does give you is for the upbuilding of the church, and the gift that God does give you should be applied in love for those around you. And so we move on. And this is going to be about a four or five part sermon series within, excuse me, Corinthians itself. Because I do want to talk about love. I want to do want to talk about how Paul explains what love is and how we as God's people can apply this love to one another. And so let's go. Verse 4, love is patient and love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way, not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. We're going to go through all that description. The beautiful part about Paul's description about love is that it's not a definition by exclusion, saying what love is not. But it's a definition of inclusion in terms of what love is. And this is something that we need to hear and understand and to really apply well, not only to our hearts, but in practice as well. What does it look like to love brothers and sisters and then how to love this world in need of a Savior itself? First thing it says, 
Love is patient. Love is patient. Are you a patient person? Can you wait? For my next word. Can you wait? Do your children reach the age of 18 or now or college? Off to college? Can you wait? you're done your four years of, of university can you wait for that next job we often think of patience in reference to ourselves and to what we want God to give us. We often think of patience as to when is it the Lord will bestow upon me what he promised. And patience for many of us is often a self-centered way of thinking about what can I, when will God give me what he promised. Now there are elements of that in scripture. But that's not what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what this passage is talking about. Here in this passage, We're talking about love. He's not talking about love of self. It's about love of others. Love of self, by definition, is not love. Love, by definition, is loving other people. So the first thing that Paul wants us to understand is love is patience towards other people. Do you have patience with people around you? There are always going to be people in this church who for some reason can press your buttons. They just say one thing and you just you just blow up. You don't know what to do with them. And you often sort of deflect the reason for that, not because of you and your heart, but you always say, it's, it's, it's their fault. It's totally their fault that I can't be patient. I'm actually a very patient person. I really am. It's not, I am not the problem. He's the problem. If it just wasn't him, you would see how patient I am. You hear a person say that, run away from that person as, as fast as you can. <laughs> just kidding. But it's amazing how God always brings people into our church that demands us to love them. 
with patience. It says here in 1 Thessalonians 5, 14, 15, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the, patient, help the weak. All right, so he's describing different types of people. But lastly, he says, be patient with them all. Be patient with the people around you. Now, what do we have to be patient with? That's the big question, right? What, what am I being patient for? Am I being, being patient that they will finally, I don't know, like wash their hair more than you know, once, a, once a week? Might be patient with them, you know, uh, finally answering my phone calls. I mean, what, what am I being patient with them? Well, what is this context again? The context is the church of Christ. We are patient with one another as God grows them in his image towards sanctification, towards their growth in loving the Lord, towards their growth in loving the church. I know many of you get worked up, and, and I do too, when you see someone and, and you know in your mind and your heart that that person is clearly sinning. You, you can see it. No one else can see it for some reason, but you can see it. You can see it. You share with other people and they go, oh yeah, maybe. But no, no, no. you see it because you're a prophet. <laughs> and you become so fixated on that one thing that the person is not growing in, that you lose your patience just like that. We all need to understand that we are all a work in progress by the Lord, a work that He will finish one day in glory. We all know that as we walk in this world, we will become more and more sanctified. But we must be patient in allowing God to bring about that sanctification and not us. And so if you have a good brother and sister and you know they're wrestling, You say true words in love, but you're patient. One of the joys that I myself have had as a pastor here is, is for many of you who have been with me for 15, 19 years, since 2005, 14, 14, sorry, 14 years, is I've gotten to see your sin patterns. And you see my sin patterns. And I've seen you guys when you're trusting God, you're doing well, and then <laughs> you hit that valley. And you know what? It's always the same thing. It's always the same thing. And then somehow you come back out of it. Sometimes you repent and come out of it. Sometimes God's just merciful and takes away the circumstances. It's like you're not ready for this yet. 
you go back up. A couple years later, same thing happens again. Bam! Okay, am I going to yell at you? I'm just like, okay, God, here they go again. Sometimes you repent to come out of it, sometimes you don't. But by God's mercy, you come out of it again. And then over and over and over again. And for those of you who've known each other for 15 years, or when you're in college, a year, to me a year is like five years. If you know each other for three years, that's like 15 years already. Um, You know each other's sin patterns. You know each other's weaknesses. You speak the truth in love, and you love patient with one another. To know that God will finish his work. Love is patient towards one another. Second of all, love forbears wrongs. Matthew 18, verse 26, the, the parable of the uh, merciful, uh, uh, the servant without mercy. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, his master, have patience with me. And I will pay you everything. And then the the master basically says, listen, I forgive you. And that servant goes to another servant. And that servant below him says, listen, I can't pay right now. And that guy says, hey, listen, you got to pay me back. We're not going to throw you in jail. Has to throw him in jail. The master hears about it. Hears how ruthless he was. And has him thrown in jail for being merciless. For being impatient. We know when Jesus says, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? Jesus says, 70 times 7. And what does 70 times 7 mean? It means you need to forgive every single time. There is actually no number. There's no actually some point in your mind that you say, all right, just one more time of forgiving him, then I can get him. Spouses. one more time, I just have to forgive them one more time and then hammer comes down. But the patience that God talks about or that and Paul talks about is that love forbears even wrongs that are done to you. And love continues to forgive one another. Now, there's a twofold thing here. One is when the person is very much aware of their sin and they're struggling. They have their days when they're really trusting the Lord and days that they're not, and you're able to sort of walk with them in that, and you forbear that. That's best-case scenario, right? That's that thorn that some people have in their side, that temptation that really gets to you because every time they fall into it, you feel like the relationship is just going nowhere or the church is going nowhere. But you ever forbear because they're aware of it. They have their good days and their bad days by God's grace. But then there are other things that happen in the church where people sin against one another. And, and there are times where you have to bring that up into light so that we as a church can deal with it. I'm not talking about those. 
a love forbearance wrongs is, is this. Is there will be just little things. Perhaps the way people say something. Perhaps it's a cultural thing. And you know that it's really just particular to you. And it's, it's not sort of harmful to the church. And you have to make that, that wise decision. I usually tell people, talk with someone else about it to see if this is something that you need to sort of forbear on your own or is it something that needs to be really talked about. But there does come a time where we allow love to cover over a multitude of sins. Love is patient. There is no such thing as a short game in being a believer. The believer, it's always the long game. Love does not exact judgment. And if you look at these two verses beforehand and this third verse here, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive, is the opposite of being patient that we see in terms of the church context, in terms of loving one another. The opposite of patience is exacting judgment to each other. It's coming out and saying, sit down, let me tell you what you did wrong. You need to understand that you're wrong, I'm right. Now listen, stay here and listen. I don't want you to repent. I just want you to hear my wrath. We've all done that. There's no love in that. Again, that love disappears and becomes a self-centered expression. But love does not exact punishment. Love does not show wrath. But love is patient. Do we not see, do we not understand the gospel writer John is right and he says God is love. It means that God himself embodies these, these characteristics, these attributes. Love is patient. Well, God is patient. God is forbearing. God is long-suffering. Psalm 103, verse 8, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, an abounding and steadfast love. You know, sometimes with my kids, you know, we'll, I'll chase them around. And, you know, they're trying not to be caught. I'm faster than them still. I know that. But what do I do? I just run just slow enough so I don't catch them. Just slow enough so it's still fun for them. That's a game. 
I can catch them anytime. God can catch you in exact judgment and punishment right now. Right now, he could come into this world and say, today is the day of judgment. Let's go back in redemptive history. After Adam and Eve partook of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, of good and evil, God could exact judgment right there. All of humanity wiped away, you and I just being a thought in the Lord's mind. But God waited. And he waited. And he waited. And in his patience, he long suffered. waited and he waited until he could send his son Jesus to you and then Jesus in his life perfect man perfect God and this is still the biggest mystery for me it's someone like him how can he from the day he was born Today, he started to understand who he was, however that works in, in the God-man, and wait till he's 30 and see the sinfulness of man and not do anything about it. For you, you Star Trek techies, one of my favorite lines is uh, from Star Trek The Next Generation. Anyone know Star Trek The Next Generation? Uh, there's this android named Data. And uh, Data wanted to become human. And the Borg, which is this enemy, enemy, enemy entity out there, um, tempts Data and says, Data, we can make you human. And uh, the, uh, the good guys in Star Trek said, and, and Data was tempted, but he, he, he went with the good guys. And the good guys asked Data, and says, you know, weren't you tempted? He goes, yeah. He goes, for how long? And Data says something like, like a .001 millisecond. And he says, is that, is that it? And he says, for an android, that's eternity. Imagine the God-man. Imagine God. How long his patience was for you and for humanity. Why does he do this? Second Peter 3, 9. He's waiting for his people to repent. God has called his people to him. And his patience is so that all that he's called may be revealed. All that he is called may repent and come to know Jesus and, and come to have that life that he's promised. You and me have 
have received that love from God. And our call is to be patient with all. Finally, some practical things. Being patient or long-suffering does mean, let me say this, it does mean in many, many instances that you feel like you are wronged. And in many, many instances, you might have been wronged. And just like God, practically, what can you do? You don't simply just eat it. You don't simply just let it affect your heart and you have another little, you know, little indentation of, of hurt there until it just adds up. You need to go to God and experience his patient love for you. And when you experience his patient love for you, your capacity to be patient for everyone else becomes supernatural become spirit-filled. Second of all, be patient with one another. For in so doing, you will allow the Holy Spirit to work in one another. The worst thing you want to see, and we do this in anger, we do this because we want retribution, but the worst thing you want is someone to change because so the worst thing you can have is someone, quote unquote, changing because of your anger and they're afraid of you. It might feel good the first two minutes, but it just doesn't last, does it? It doesn't last. And what's worse, if we see sort of a, a, a quasi spiritual or a pseudo spiritual change because of our wrath and anger. You're actually doing harm to God's body. But have that patient love. Be prayerful. Be mindful. So that when that person does change by God's spirit and God's word, you can really rejoice. As God rejoices in you. So my brothers and sisters, For this application of 1 Corinthians 13 as we continue to go forth. Think about our church and what it means to love. And as you do so, I promise you, those aspects of that great spiritual love that God's bestowed upon us will extend to your marriages, to your families, to your workplace the stranger. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for this time that you've given us. We ask that you would bless us, Lord God, to walk the more excellent way. Lord God, help us as a church to be patient with one another, to forbear each other. Lord, oftentimes that means we may be wronged or a perception of wrong or whatever it may look like. But help us, Lord, to always run to you and to remember your patient love for us. 
Help us, Lord, to relate with one another in such a way that our goal is to have Christ magnified and shown in each one of us. Do this, Lord God, so that we may have the fullness of life and you may receive all glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.